Good evening, saints. Today's date is February 26th, 2020. And the title of tonight's message is Men Among the Exiles. We are in times of warfare, sacrifice, and victory, ascending to a higher level, ascending to a holy and dangerous priesthood, one filled with zealous, spirit-led Zimri killers. You have become dangerous to the enemy, and he has taken notice. He has launched attacks from within and without, and he has not prevailed, and he will not prevail over us. So Sunday, we covered the power of God's war chariot at work in you. Monday, we covered the summary of the life of the faithful and the victory that is in store for the upright. Tonight, we'll be aimed at the way we war, the mind and mentality you must have to win. Our heavenly commander has ordained these times and is teaching us to reflect his heavenly armies. Let's jump to the text. Everyone open up your Bibles to Psalm 31 and find verse 15. Amen. Amen. You there? There, 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 there. I'm going to read 15 and 16 together. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Saints, we want to start out this evening by saying your times are in God's hands. Amen. We've been brought to this place by his very design. The adversity, the warfare that you are experiencing, that you are a part of right now, those times are in God's hands. That message of death, that threat, that insecurity, this is God sweeping away the dust. He's blowing through with a whirlwind to show us where we have dry bones with the very intention of bringing you to life. Our God's intention has always been to bring us through warfare so that we might become stronger for it. He does not want to kill you this evening. He wants to strengthen you. Can somebody say amen to that? Verse 16 says, let your face shine on your servant. Guys, Monday night we covered out of Malachi how he has mercy and compassion upon the son that serves him. It's a good night to serve the living God. We are going to experience his unfailing love and unfailing kindness inside of us. It is our deliverance. 17 and 18, let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I've cried out to you. Man, that's quite the request. I feel like I've made that a few times here lately. Anybody in the back row over there hear me? Forge clan. But let the wicked be put to shame and lie silent in the grave. Let their lying lips be silenced. For with pride and contempt, they speak arrogantly against the righteous. Man, I've heard some arrogant words lately. And at the same moment, I've heard men crying out to the Almighty God. I want to assure you this evening that the Scripture clearly states that He has an animosity towards certain things. That God is stirred up by certain things. That the psalmist even began to feel what God was feeling in the moment and he was no longer tolerating wicked behavior. He was no longer tolerating the threats of the enemy. He was stirred as the Almighty God was stirred. Verse 19 How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. Man, we have a goodness. We have a joy that comes straight from the heavens. It's not based upon our current situation. We have a refuge that never wavers. We have a goodness that is a fact, not a circumstance. Our God's character is one that is immovable, that is immutable. We just have to tap into it. He is going to breathe a breath of life into us this evening that causes us to tap into that. He has arranged our times for a very specific purpose this evening. Somebody turn to, let's go to Exodus chapter 9 and verse 15. When you get there, say it loud and proud, I'm there. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. 
The Lord had raised Pharaoh up for a very specific purpose. The Lord will show himself holy no matter what purpose he's raising Pharaoh or anybody else up for. But that's not what we're talking about tonight. Tonight we're talking about the very purpose that the Lord has raised you and me up for. He has a very specific purpose for you. He has a very specific purpose for me. And he will not back down for that, from that purpose. So tonight as we begin to get into this word, get that purpose in your mind. Get it on the surface of your heart tonight and do not let it go. Get it down deep inside of you because you are raised for a purpose of righteousness. And with joy, you will go forward in that purpose and you will accomplish all that the Lord has for you. Turn with me to Isaiah 26. Verses 1 through 4, and we're going to talk about the joyful obedience that you can walk in that purpose with. See, it's not enough to have obedience. You have to have joyful obedience. In Isaiah 26, verse 1 through 4, it says, In that day the song will be sung in the land of Judah. Now, I don't know, I don't know if you know the backdrop to Isaiah 26. In Isaiah 24, 1, it says that the earth is going to be laid to waste and utterly devastated. There is a battle that is going to happen. But you know what God does? He gives them a song before the battle happens. He tells them what the song is going to be before the battle ever occurs. Do you want to know what that song is? Then pick up with me. It says we have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. You see, he gives the song beforehand because there is a knowledge that the righteous and those who are obedient will enter into the gates after the battle is over. Knowing that the righteous will enter, knowing that your obedience is purchasing you entrance into that city, you can have joy knowing what's going to happen. You can have joy before the battle. You can look at the battle and say, no matter how grievous it is, I will sing songs of joy and walk in trust and obedience all the way. Verse 3 says that trust brings a steadfast mind. It's not those who are physically strong. It's not those who are the most gifted. It's not those who are the most skilled. It's those who have their mind set on doing God's will. It's those who have their mind set on obeying God through the trial. It's those who have their mind set on being faithful beforehand. And in the end, we go back to the beginning. He said this song will be sung. You need to know something, church. There is a joy that you have to encourage yourself daily to have. There's a joy that you have to let rise up in you while the battle is going on. But there's something else that's the other side of the coin. When you are faithful and obedient, God will fill you with joy. After you obey, He will fill you. You will be able to stand up and say, I did everything that He told me to. And now I'm walking into the city that He's prepared. Man, verse 26 says, in that day... This song will be sung. Somebody say, will be sung. We want to remind you today that it is your job to be joyful. You have an obligation to be joyful. But also joyful obedience to the king is something he promises you. God is cultivating something inside of us that cannot be broken. Because his word declares that those that are faithful, it will happen in your life. And the kingdom is made up of a holy war. And we have to have joyful obedience as we do it. But there's more than just joyful obedience that God is revealing to us tonight. Come on, everyone turn to Daniel 6 and find verse 13. Say, there when you're there. Then they said to the king... Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Man, he was joyfully obedient and he was holy and defiant. Holy defiance to go against the grain of the world standards. To resist being swept away by the torrential flood of dissipation that so many carnal Christian 
the carnal Christian church is swimming in. We have to be joyfully obedient and wholly defiant because this will mark us and our offspring. Daniel's ability to get revelation in the midst of adversity was a result of his holy defiance in the face of an earthly principality that sought to emasculate the sons of God. Daniel could not be pulled away, reduced, silenced, deterred from seeking the face of his heavenly father. Daniel was walking in something that God gave him in the midst of adversity. Man, that's a really interesting concept. It's almost like we hear from God better when we really need it. Not when we're sitting in some peaceful situation. It's almost like his church was made for joyful obedience and holy defiance. Our God always intended that we would be at war. And yet men like Daniel throughout history have heard the very words of God while in captivity. Let's take a look at Daniel 2, 25 together. Say there when you're there. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and he said, I have found a man among the exiles. Man, that sounds a little bit like a band of survivors. I have found a man among the exiles, not among the princes. I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. Man, I love the character of our God. He chooses the weak. He chooses the lowly as his instrument and tool for moving nations and kingdoms. See, if he wanted to raise up a prince, somebody with a crown and pretty clothing on them, he could have. He picked the one that was among the exiles. You know, just a little over a year, we were standing here together hearing the pastors preach about a band of survivors, about a remnant among a people after destruction that were still here. That God had a plan for, that he was going to rebuild walls and produce fruitfulness, that the enemy would not be able to stomp them out. I'm here to tell you tonight, the enemy has not been able to stomp you out. He is not going to stomp us out now. In fact, we're making a transition. I know something that the enemy doesn't know. That's going to give me a holy defiance and a joyful obedience before him. I'm going to see him fall. Verse 26. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Man, this reminds me of the life of Christ where men asked him, are you willing? Do you want to heal me? The whole world is plagued with this question. Does God really care? And is he really able to do something about my current situation? I think, unfortunately, many times we are, you are, are plagued with this question. Can you really tell me what's going on? Is there really an answer to this? Read Daniel's response. Daniel replied, no wise man, no enchanter, no politician, no powder puff prophet, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. He didn't find it on YouTube. He didn't find it on Facebook. No man, this exile is standing before a king where others' lives are on the line because they could not tell the king the dream. And he starts out his sentence by saying, no man can, no wise man, no diviner, no magician. Look, this is the kind of king where heads roll in a heartbeat. He's already about to wipe out an entire group. He doesn't say yes, but no one else. There's kind of a holy defiance inside of him because he knows something no one else does. He's not concerned about what the king thinks when he says no wise man, no enchanter, because he knows he has the answer. Saints, are you concerned this evening about how things appear right now? See, that goes away when you know the answer to the outcome of your situation. It's time for us to grab hold of the outcome of this situation. I'm going to operate under a joyful obedience because my king is close to me. In fact, he's a little closer to me when it's hard. That's what I'm longing for. A holy defiance that says, I will not bow, I will not cater, I will not even say it in a way that you find pleasing. I know what my God has spoken. Let's take a look at the next verse. Verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. This mystery had been revealed to this exile, but he had a little bit more up his sleeve. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. He stands before this king and outlines everything that the man had dreamed and exactly what he should do in response to it. What his relationship to the God of heaven should be. Purely because he had something they didn't. He had a revelation. Church, it's time for us to cultivate the revelation that God has given us. 
These times are in God's hands. He brought you here. And through joyful obedience, you have a closeness with Him that no man can take from you. No circumstance can take from you. You have a holy defiance that looks in the face of the enemy and says, Yeah, you can't take what I have. Yeah, I have something that you can't give, that you can't possess, that you can't get a hold of. I have a revelation from the living God and it burns inside of me. He walked like a lion among kings simply because he had a revelation that they did not possess. The fact that he was in exile, the fact that he was not groomed in the Babylonian court had nothing to do with it. What he had was enough. We must stand in joyful obedience to the king and cultivate a holy defiance against earthly pressures, earthly thinking, earthly wisdom. Tonight we go up higher. Come on, we're speaking tonight about joyful obedience and holy defiance because this is how we stand with our king. This is how we unify ourselves and we stand with the King of Kings, with the Lord of Lords, and we stand where He is with what He is doing. This is how we do this tonight. Let's turn to Isaiah 37 in verse 30. This should be a very familiar passage to you at this moment in history. Yeah, come on, say there when you're there. This will be a sign to you, LCM. This year, you will eat what grows by itself. The second year, what springs from that. But in the third year, sow and reap. Plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more, a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and will bear fruit above. You see, it's saying that's what we will do. It's not a question. This is not a a question in my mind. It's not a question in God's mind. This is as good as done. He has spoken it. Now it's time for us to go up higher. It's time for us to walk up higher with the King of Kings. It's time for us to find that highway in heaven that is holy and that is righteous and to begin to walk on it with all of our hearts. See, God will do great things through a remnant that will not yield to pressure. God will accomplish these things. You walk where the Lord says, and you will form roots. You will produce fruit. Look at verse 32. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant. Somebody say, will come. come. Out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Somebody say, "Will will accomplish. There is no question in our minds or in our hearts tonight. Joyful obedience in the labor of the Lord will produce these things. Holy defiance in the face of destruction, in the face of all kinds of odds that are against you, against me. They will produce these things because the Lord has said it and that settles it. Amen. Come on, joyful obedience. Say it with me. Joyful obedience. Joyful obedience. Holy defiance. Holy defiance. This is not characteristic of most men, is it? But you know, there's something in the scripture that says that they that know their God will do great exploits. There is something about knowing who your God is. There is something about knowing who you serve. Would you like to know what kind of king you serve tonight? Would you like to know if he's a nice God? Would you like to know if he's a happy God? Would you like to know if he's a zealous God that will accomplish his plan by the fury of his zeal? Let's capture the attitude of our God right now. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8 verse 9 through 10. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 9, God is speaking something here. He's speaking and He's saying, Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Purpose your plan, but it will not stand. For God is with us. See what's happening here. The king of Assyria is coming to conquer northern Israel. God is encouraging Judah while he's enticing the enemy. How would you like that for a change? How would you like God to entice your personal enemies and say, hey, bring it on to my people as much as you got? Come on, you all know your battles. You all know the enemies that you struggle with. How would you like it for God to speak to your enemies and say, hey, that's not enough for my people. Ramp it up a little bit. And yet, that is what God does. You see, there's something that we kind of lack sometimes. 
We think it to be prideful. We think it to be arrogant to look at the trial and say, you know what? That's not enough. I want more of a battle. I want more of a fight. But that's what our God does. He looks at his enemies and he says, that is not enough. I want you to bring more because I want to crush you with less and show that I have more power than you could ever imagine. I want to get the glory out of it, so bring the best that you can get. There's something about our God. He loves to fight. Exodus 15 in the English says he's a warrior. I don't think that's nearly good enough. In the Hebrew, it's more like he's a man of war. He's a man that has his face set to war. He likes impossible odds. He likes more effort from the enemy. And it's not prideful or arrogant. It's in his nature. He says to his enemies, come on, bring your worst. I'll take that. I'll take more. And then in the end, I will be there laughing while you are dead. Tell me you men. Say this with me. That's our God. That's our God. Joe 3.9 is a favorite of many of you. I promise you tonight you're going to love it more, but probably for slightly different reasons than you have in the past. Joe 3.9 is where we're going to pick up. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into a sword and sand your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I am strong. Come quickly, all nations, from every side and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Man, so much of Christian culture is a beautiful representation of Christ that has been muddied by their own misunderstandings. This is a passage, much like Isaiah 8, Where God is calling out, but he is definitely not calling out to his people. God is beckoning men to come and fight. He is saying to them, you there, weakling, go be strong. Go get a weapon. You're going to need a weapon when we fight. Raise yourself up and come meet me in a certain place that we're about to read about. Our God is one that likes to fight. Our God is one that likes terrible odds because it shows how great he is. In fact, he'll raise up a man like Pharaoh solely for the purpose of demonstrating his own power and might through him. I want to tell you God's hands are around the times that you're in right now. That he may have raised up terrible situations just so that he can prove how mighty he is through you this evening. I'm looking for that deliverance of my God. And I'm waiting for it with joyful obedience and a defiance in my holiness that is not going to move. Verse 12 says, let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit on all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. This is God gathering his enemies into one special spot. He's saying, come to this place, Jehoshaphat, this valley of decision. Come to the breaking point where you feel like you can't go any further. This is an area and a time in history that is coming when God's people will be hemmed in on every side. Have any of you felt hemmed in on every side? Have you felt like armies are gathering against you? God is enticing our enemies and his enemies to summon their strength, summon their courage. Come rally against my nation and my people. Come a little closer. Bring your sword, bring your pruning hook. And then he trods them out in the wine press of his fury where grapes are breaking and the color of wine symbolizes the blood of his enemies being splattered everywhere. We have a king that looks at your enemies and says, yeah, bring it on. Let him attack David. Let him attack Jen. Please bring on one more thing because I'm waiting for that moment I get to deliver David. I'm looking at Cody's life and I see the circumstances. I am drawing this fight about because I love Cody. And I look for the opportunity to show glory through his enemies and his deliverance. Our king has brought you to this very specific place because this is what he wants to do. I say tonight, reading Isaiah 8 and Joel 3, that we begin to take on the attitude of our God. That we say, yeah, why don't you go strengthen yourself, Winkling? One more time, devil. Let's see if you can come with a weapon this time. See if you can beat me. My God is waiting to meet, to deliver me. I'm looking forward to it. There is a day of judgment coming. And it will be in favor of the saints. 
See, this is the holy defiance and joyful obedience that we're talking about. When you let this attitude of your God rise up in you, when you let that attitude rise up in you and you know what God is going to do through you, you can look at your situation without fear. You can look at it with joy and saying, I love the fight. Come on, I want you to say that with me. I love the fight. I want to fight. As a matter of fact, I want more fights. You see, we don't have that ingrained in our souls sometimes. Sometimes we have the fight and we would rather just have comfort. We need to have the attitude like a conquering king saying, I want more war because war is where you show glory to your king. We should like the fight. And there's something else that we should get inside of us. For lack of a better term, we call it holy bloodlust. We call it a holy longing for more enemies to fight. A holy longing for more enemies to put down and put to death. I want you to turn with me to Romans 8. And we're going to talk about this holy bloodlust for a second. I want you to stay with me. This is about to get good. Paul's saying in verse 31, What then shall we say in response to this? In response to everything that we're hearing, what shall we say? I love what Paul says right here. If God is for us, who could be against us? I don't, know, I don't know about you, but that kind of makes me laugh a little bit. I get excited. <laughs> you know, some people when you're like, hey, man, this trial is tough. Hey, brother, you need to be encouraged. They're like, well, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, I think there's more of a response that we should have than that. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Man, that's a commitment, isn't it? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who will bring any charge against you whom God has chosen, LCM? Who will bring any charge against you tonight? It is God who justifies. Who is He that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. There's nothing that can stop us. There is no charge that can stop you. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No! No! As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Man, what a glorious thing to be considered, isn't it? Like sheep led to the slaughter for the king. But in verse 37 is the answer. No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I want to tell you tonight, it's one thing to be a conqueror. I think some of us kind of have that settled in our mind. If I could just be a conqueror tonight, I will be what God wants me to be. And I don't think you're thinking high enough. I think a conqueror is where you start. We are aiming to be more than a conqueror. What would the men who received this letter in Rome thought about that? Just think about this. What would they have thought about that statement? What would they have thought about what a conqueror is? Rome produced many conquerors. This was written to the church of Rome. I want you to think of Alexander the Great for a second. A man who conquered the known world in his 30s. I want you to think about Julius Caesar. A man who ruled over the known world. What you think about Xerxes, men who ruled the world? These were conquerors that they had this in mind, church. And Paul says that they're more. These were men who were fueled by their ambitions. They never settled. They never stood on their accomplishments as it were. They were motivated by glory. They were never satisfied. They were always strategizing for the battle. They were conquerors that were always on the offensive. Conquerors are never on the defensive. They are always moving to take ground, never trying to protect it. They all suffered military defeats, sicknesses. They, They suffered stretching in their supply lines. They had a brazen boldness to lay claim to what they wanted. They had a rising ambition that spurred them on. 
They rose with the sun and descended on their enemies with every weapon they could muster. They scoffed at the blood and sweat that secured their victories. They knowingly and willingly paid the cost for their own perceived immortality. They symbolized the raw courage and the hard grit that turned mortals into kings. They must have seemed uninterested with the quaint affairs of a normal life. And they must have been difficult to relate to. But they were all driven. Say, driven with me, church. They were all driven to accomplish their conquests. They were carried by their wicked wants. With bronze faces and bright eyes, they never backed down, but moved forward to secure victory after victory. And Paul says, you are more than that. We are more than that, church. We are more than conquerors. How do you ask we are more? How is it possible to be more? Well, let me tell you for a second. We conquer not in our own name, but His. We are passionate about Him and His glory. We are selflessly dying every day to see crowns laid at His feet and not ours. We are decreasing daily to see the boundaries of His kingdom advance and not our own. We have bronze faces, iron souls, steel spines, and eyes of fire when we worship Him and not ourselves, church. We have a joyful obedience and holy defiance, knowing that He wants to fight with us. Come on, can you say a hallelujah about that? We have a holy bloodlust to see more of His enemies put to death while we bless our own enemies, church. We have a guarantee that victory is for us in Him. It is ultimately certain that we will, the, we will win the battle. Yeah. That is how we are more than conquerors, church. Those men paled into comparison of what you are now, church. Now let's finish this verse out and see what Paul has to say about that. Amen. <laughs> For I am convinced that neither death, my own death cannot separate or stop me. No trouble in this life can separate or stop me. No angel can separate or stop me. No demon in hell can separate or stop me. Nothing in the present nor nothing that is going to come into my life in the future can separate or stop me. There's nothing now that can stop you. There's nothing in your future that can stop you. There's no power that can separate or stop you. There's no height that you cannot ascend to and conquer. And there is no depth that you can't go out, to go down into and kill that lion. There's nothing else in all creation that can separate or stop us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Church, we are more than conquerors now. We advance against the enemy now. Nothing can stop his conquest through us. Holy defiance, rise tonight. Joyful obedience, rise tonight. Holy bloodlust to courageously confront, rise tonight. Trust in the ultimate certainty of His reign in you. Spirit of holiness and power, we are crying out for that to rise in us tonight. Are you with us, church? My church, don't be lulled to sleep tonight. There, there, There are men on the edge of their seat. And if you are not on the edge of your seat, ready to rise up and be wholly defiant in the face of difficulty, you are not on the same train that we are on. Let's go to Philippians 3 and find verse 12. Before we read this, it's worth noting that Paul had a conquering spirit that was so much greater than anything the world put on display. Are you in verse 12? Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Church, this is conqueror language, victorious vernacular, elevated expectation, a cacophony to the carnal, but a herald of hope to the holy defiant saints in Christ. Now listen, saints, there is a distance between the conqueror and what he plans to conquer. These are promises, places of ministry, visions, dreams, hopes. But the conquerors are not capricious cats. They are loyal lions. Let's go to verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. There's no time to dwell on past accomplishments or defeats. The time to conquer is now. The time to conquer is tonight. Verse 14. 
I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. The end result of conquest is bridging the gap to the prize between the conquer and what he plans to conquer. Verse 15. All of us who are mature should take such view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let us maintain what we have already conquered while pressing on for more, church. There is a force inside of us that will not let us stop. We will conquer. On the note of what is driving men like the Apostle Paul. What drove Moses, what drove the men of faith to accomplish what they did in the face of the lion's mouth, in face of the flame, in the face of jeers and floggings. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. This is one of Pastor Wade's favorite scriptures, so it's got to be anointed. I want you to consider these words. In light of what Peyton just read with Paul about pressing on and moving away from what was behind. That he had a holy goal in mind that he could not stop with. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy or scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Saints, what is a prophecy? What is a scripture? It is a word and direction from heaven for all mankind. It is a vision that somebody had that was meant to affect the earth. See, there is a holy written text that is for all men, for all generations. But there are also prophecies and words of Scripture in your life, in your household that are for you. That no other man, it may may not mean the same thing to them, but to you, it is what you're called to accomplish. It is what we are put here on the earth for. Somebody in this house have a mezuzah statement. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. Never had its will in the earthly. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Man, we don't want to get into a linguistic study tonight. But the word carried is 5342 in the Greek for a Strong's number. It can mean carried. It also can mean breathed on. It can mean driven. I say yes and yes to all of the above. God will carry you in the vision that He has given you. He will also drive you along like a conqueror. See, we are more than conquerors because we have something more than selfish ambition pushing us. We have a holy and a righteous God that is moving inside of His people. He doesn't want you to fail. He wants you to conquer what is in front of you. With joyful obedience, we get to stand looking at our devil, grinning a little bit. I'm still joyful. I still got what He gave me. You can't take it from me. With a holy defiance, say, that was cute. You got nothing on this. The Holy Ghost will cause me to be carried. He will breathe upon me. He will drive me along. The men of God that conquered, that overcame in the Word of God, were driven by the Holy Spirit. You know, I was born again of a heavenly strength. And I'm having to declare every day I will not succumb to earthly circumstances. I was constructed of a heavenly substance. And I am driven by a power that is from above. I can't submit to earthly thinking and earthly wisdom. I am cut out of a rock that is Christ. And so are you this evening. We're going to act like that rock that is Christ. I I don't think you heard Judah. You are cut out of the rock that is Christ. That is who you are and that is your heritage. Let's turn together in Daniel chapter 2 and we're going to start in 34. Come on. We have to get a hold of this church. It's our time to grab a hold of this revelation that we are cut out of the rock that is Christ. We belong to that rock. It's our heritage. It is who we are. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. Come on. See, it had, no, it had nothing to do with you or me. It had nothing to do Amen. with what came before us. It had nothing to do with the wicked life of our forefathers. It had nothing to do with that. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff 
on a threshing floor in the summer. You see, what you see right now is going to be broken to pieces, but what you see in the heaven will last forever. Are your eyes in the heavens or are they on the earth today? Come on, somebody say, my eyes are in the heavens today. That's because what we are is in the heavens. What we are, we are bringing to the earth. What we are is cut out of the rock that is Christ. Keep reading with me. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This is a promise to the people of God. We know how this story ends. We know what's going to happen. The rock that is Christ will fill the whole earth. Are you filling the earth with the rock that is Christ right now? You see, because we can walk in it. We can take steps in it. We can forcefully advance it. And we can do it with a joyful kind of obedience. We can do it with an obstinance to the evil, wicked, nasty things of the earth. We stand out like a sore thumb as we advance the rock that is Christ that is birthed in us. In the last few weeks, we've been preaching about ultimate sovereignty of God, haven't we? been preaching that we know God's plan. We, like God, know the end from the beginning, and that gives us great comfort. That also allows us to have joyful obedience, holy defiance, and a kind of bloodlust that says, I want more enemies to kill. We want to build on that right now. We want to build on ultimate sovereignty, and we want to talk about ultimate certainty. Ultimate certainty that you can have that will put pep in your Holy Ghost step and allow you to slay the giants before you. Come on. That wind, that spirit that Judah was preaching about, you know what that is. You know what it's like to be moved along by the Holy Ghost, don't you? You know what that prodding is. Those times of difficulty when you're in the trench, when the enemies are slipping through the lines, and you feel that prodding inside of your heart saying, don't stop. You've got a promise. You've got a goal in mind. There's a prize that I've called you towards. That is the Holy Spirit inside of you carrying you on like a conqueror. And now we're going to hear about the ultimate certainty of that promise to us. Skip right on down to verse 44. In the time... Are you there? You all there with me? Making sure. In the time of those kings. What kings? The kings that are going to come and try to rule and crush the saints. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the rock. The vision of the rock cut out of the mountain. Not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. Church, in the future, there's that song again that you know from the beginning. There's that ultimate certainty that you you have, that you can look at the face of the enemy and know what will happen at the end. There's that song again. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. What you need to know tonight, church, is that there is no king that will stand in that day. There is no earthly, worldly, uh, humanly wise king that will stand. The only kings that will be standing are the ones that are standing with the King of Kings, and that is Jesus Christ. No enemy will be left. Everything that you struggle with ultimately will die. You need to grab hold of that tonight, church. Everything that you struggle with ultimately will die. Everything you're fighting against, ultimately you will have victory if you do not give up and have ultimate certainty. We can have that, and we will conquer what God has entrusted to to us. You know how I could say that with certainty? Because the Word says it. It's time to stand on the Word tonight, church, and believe what it says for us. Let's go to John chapter 3. Church, where's your war cry? Find verse 27. Somebody say ultimate certainty when you're there. Are you guys there? (laughs) To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. What a response. I have nothing. (laughs) That revelation is all that he needs. He defiantly refuses to concede to the fear and jealousy that surrounds him. Verse 28. 
Verse 27, a man ran up to John the Baptist just before Peyton picked up. And it says, across the Jordan, Jesus is baptizing and everyone is going to him. What are we going to do, discipler? What are we going to do with ourselves? John's response was, a man can only receive what is given him from heaven. See, some read that and they say, well, this, this man's anointed and I, I can only do what I've received from heaven. Me, me, I do not have nothing. No, John the Baptist knew that what he had received from heaven was enough. He didn't have to give in to fear, jealousy. He was not going to relent because somebody else was prospering. He knew it was his job to be at war and he was warring alongside his brother. Verse 28. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. His revelation of Christ could not be overcome. He was not going to succumb to the fear and jealousy that surrounded him. John was a man that liked to get face to face with fear. Come on. And just give it a little smile. Say, give me your best shot. Come on, Linton. Verse 31. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Tonight, we're moving beyond an earthly way of thinking. We were born from above for this purpose. This is why you were made to subdue and multiply the image of God and to break down the gates of hell. Verse 33, the man who accepts and has certified that God is truthful for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God and for God gives the spirit without limit. The father loves the son and he has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. Tonight I say, give it your best shot, devil. You may make my life hard, but you will spend an eternity in hell. My father gives the spirit without limit and I will outlast and outclass you. This agony is only building for me a crown in eternity. So don't stop me now. (laughs) Again. I have, you have what he doesn't. You have something that the enemies of God do not possess this evening. I want you to understand that. That's how John can behave that way. It's how Peyton can behave that way. He is your joy and he is your defiance. When we have a holy obedience, a holy defiance and a joyful obedience, nothing that he throws at you has any hold on you any longer. You ever wondered how the son of God can say he has no hold on me? Because he cared nothing for the world. And his delight, his joy, was in obeying the words of his father. I want you to have the same freedom tonight. Some of you are stirred in this moment with emotion. And I can also see in your eyes that you're struggling to really believe it tomorrow. You can be free of the world's hold on you. Tonight you can be permanently free. You feel it for a moment and then you stand again. No, I have joy because I'm doing what he called me to do. I defy you, devil. I defy you, Goliath. The armies of the living God are going to triumph here. Hear me, saints. This is true about you when you take your stand. I want to read you something out of Isaiah 50. We're going to pick up in the seventh verse. If you get there in time, you can read it with us. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. I know I will not be put to shame. Church, say, I know I will not be put to shame. Saints, we have a joy because of our obedience to him that cannot be taken from us. You will not be put to shame when you serve the living God. There is an ultimate certainty. Verse 8, he who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. He is near me. My king is near me, my enemy. There is nothing that you can do. His vindication is coming. You need to be able to say that confidently. We spoke Monday night about being able to say that you are clean in God's sight because you know His work in you. 
You need to know God's work inside of you this evening. Yeah, I know what the devil could never know. The end of the matter. The end of the outcome. I am certain that victory is coming. I'm walking in a reality that is beyond what my eyes can see. I am filled, driven, and carried by a spirit that gives me joy in the obedience that he's called me to. Verse 9. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he that will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moss will eat them up. Church, you can smile at the things that are trying to eat you up right now. Because those enemies will be worn out and God has already said it. You just need to focus. Set your eyes on Him. Stop believing that it's the end of the world. That your finances are going to kill you. That your circumstances are going to kill you. They will wear out. You will not. Verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of His servant? Let him who walks in the dark who has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Is there somebody in the house tonight that needs God's light? You who serve him, you who obey him, you will have his light. Verse 11. But now all you who light fires and provide yourself with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. See, this evening we are contending with a holy light and a holy fire. Not one that we manufactured on our own. Not our own cistern. Holy living water that produces life. To those that are walking by their own light and their own fire. Whether you're in this room or listening online and mocking those that walk by God's light. Listen to the last part of this verse. This is what you will receive from my hand. This is the hand of God. Regardless of whether or not you profess Christ. You will lie down in torment. The powers that be will get their due. The rebellious and the malcontents will get their due. As for me, I'm going to walk by the light of my king this evening. Are you going to come with me? Go ahead. Increase the testimony of my God. He will, you will not be able to stop the work that is going on inside of this room. Increase it again. Add a little adversity. You can't stop it. You're just making it a bigger testimony. Give me bad results from a doctor. Give me another bill I wasn't expecting. You're just building a bigger testimony. Something is coming. You hit, you hit me. You hit my wife. You hit my children. Laugh in the devil's face and say, I'm a priest of the living God. I've learned to watch over his word and I stand by his word alone. You hit my bank account. You hit my house. My vehicle. <laughs> I am no longer an American. I'm a citizen of heaven. Those things don't matter to me. Fictitious numbers in a bank account are not what I live for. We're going up higher this evening. You hit my brother's. Man, what a mistake, devil. I am filled with the wrath of God and I can feel defiance rising up in me. Man, I'm going to grin at you. I'm going to laugh at you when you strike me because it's pathetic. You start messing with my brothers and I'm going to get angry because God is angry. This evening we are going to reflect what he is producing inside of us. The enemy thought he was going to break us. How much more embarrassing is this going to be for the devil when he loses anyway? He's breaking out the big guns and when it still doesn't work... It's that much more shameful and glorious for our God. You ever heard the term? Hey, handle my lightweight. Well, when the big man steps up, he's there to deal with it and he still loses. How much more embarrassing for a kingdom is that? We have kingdoms that are clashing, that are at war. And the harder they try to get you to stop, the more glory it brings to your king and the more humbling it is to the powers that be. Ephesians speaks about how he's teaching a lesson to the spiritual powers through us. The church, through you, he's teaching them something. And you're the instrument of God's wrath in this case. See, my king is that much closer to me when I'm under duress. He's that much closer to you. All that we need to do is walk in joyful obedience and we get to go up a little higher. I'm a little closer to my father. I'm a little more like him this evening. And then stand and look at the adversity with some holy defiance and say, you're not going to break me. You don't have what it takes. My king is holding me up. He's able to make me stand in his house. See, his word in you will prove the devil to be cast down yet again. It's not the first time for him, but he's going to get used to it happening often in this house. Joy and obedience, defiance and holiness, and certainty and victory is how you are called to walk. You see, this is not a front. This is not something that we are just pushing out there and hoping that somebody is going to grab a hold of. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what the Lord of creation is birthing inside of us. We're going to prove it to you. 
But before we go to Matthew 26 and verse 74, you can be turning there. I want to encourage the families in this place. This is the kingdom, and I know that as you look into your own life, you're painfully watching your shortcomings. You're painfully dwelling on the times where you've fallen short. We want to extend hope and courage in your mind and your heart tonight that you can and you will walk in this way because this is the kingdom and it is breaking out in your life in these ways. Consider Peter, delightful Peter. Peter stepping out any way that he can. Peter trying any way that he can. Consider him in verse 74 here. Then he began to call down curses on himself. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Have you been there? Because I know I've been there. I've gone outside. I've wept bitterly over my state. Like, Lord, how could I be in this place again? How could I be in a conversation again? And this is what's happening. And I'm weeping bitterly. But the Spirit of God tonight is saying, Stand up, men. Stand up, woman of God. It's not time to weep. It's time to walk in this. It's time to walk forward in what God has called us to. It's time to have a holy kind of defiance and joy in our lives. Leave behind the cowardice of yesterday. Leave behind the cowardice of this morning and walk in defiance to the things of this world. We are, we are birthed into something that is so much higher, so much greater, so much more amazing than the world that we see all around us. Peter did not stay in this place. He would not let past failures define his future. What does Acts 5 verse 12 say? Acts 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on the beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. (laughs) And if that's not enough, then the high priest and all his associates, who are members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go! Stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. See, as you're here tonight, don't let the devil lie to you and tell you that this is just a different class of Christian. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you, well, that's just how Judah is. That's just how Pastor Eric and Pastor Wade and Pastor Matthew are. I'm different. I feel different. I move differently. The Lord speaks to me differently. Don't let the devil lie to you like that. You see, Peter was once a coward. Once found out to be a coward, but he got over his cowardice. He repented and he became a conqueror for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! That is not just for one type of man. That is for every man and woman in this church. We're up here preaching about this because we are trying to live this out. I bet you between the four of us men, we probably have less than $100 in our account between the four of us. And I didn't say that so you can give us money. We will turn away your money and you put it in the offering box. We're saying that to say that the kingdom conquers are always men who had less and always did more because of the spirit that was moving them. It does not rest on our talents. It doesn't rest on how handsome Judah is or how talented Peyton is or how well Nick can prophesy. Good thing. It rests on the desperate want for conquering. It rests on the fact that you can come before the king and say, I don't, I don't care how I feel. I don't care how many enemies. Lord, I got one life to live and I want to conquer as much land as I can. You see, the apostles and Peter did that. After they saw Jesus resurrected, they knew that they would be resurrected too. And they were. They were resurrected in this life and they were resurrected in the next life. Come on, church. We need some of that in us. Amen. 
The world's going to tell you what you can't do. It's not about what you can do. It's about what the Lord will do through you. I want to be like the men we're going to read about in Acts 5. And find verse 41 when you get there. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They would not stop. They would not break. They were joyfully obedient, holy and defiant. And they were conquering through ultimate certainty. I want to be like those men. I want to be like the men that rise to be conquerors today. They go to sleep and they wake up conquerors. I'm, I'm far too fickle. I'll be a conqueror tonight preaching about a conquering spirit and I'll wake up a coward in the morning. And tonight I'm crying out, Lord, I want to wake up and be a conqueror because I know that's who you are. And you have put your spirit in me. I don't have the right to be a coward in the morning. I must rise and be a conqueror. Church, the men that were participating in this, they were proclaiming a message. They were being beaten and rejoicing because they were obedient. And all the while being defiant to the things that were spoken against the word of God. Those men were the ones that were fleeing from Jesus when he was stricken. This is Peter who was a coward next to the living God. He was a disciple of Christ. And fear, insecurity, and fright came over him and he denied him. Saints, many of you have denied your calling, denied Christ at points in your life. But when the Spirit of God drives a man, carries a man, you can become a conqueror in Christ. If you're willing to stand in happy, joyful obedience, a holy defiance, He will make you into a conqueror. In light of His holiness, your fear is inconsequential. Your fear is a symptom of a lack of understanding of His might. You just need to get to know your King better. If you knew how great our God was, you would not allow those things to steal from you any longer. I want to tell you that Daniel in chapter 7 verse 21 says that the horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them. See, your victory has nothing to do with what you're seeing in your eyes right now. It has everything to do with the reality that you walk in, who you are in Christ, your joyful obedience, your holy defiance. That is victory in Christ. He will make you into a conqueror. But where we are going, no matter what it looks like, the horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom of God. See, when God has spoken something to you that it is going to happen, no matter what you see in front of you, you are waiting for the day. That that ultimate certainty comes to pass when he issues a judgment on your behalf. Tell you that the heavens are moving. On Sunday, we could have visions and prophecies where the pastors and and members of the congregation could even hear something happening. God is moving on your behalf. Don't you give the devil an inch. Don't you give up until that most high God issues a verdict on your behalf. Rise up. Let him add sinew and flesh and armor to you. Don't stay dry. Be filled with the life of God. We're going to walk by joyful obedience. We're going to live in holy defiance. And we're going to conquer through an ultimate certainty about the verdicts of Christ. Come on, stand with us, church. Stand with us. We literally have one scripture left tonight. And it's going to come from Revelation chapter 20. And we're going to start in verse 11. As you stand with your heads held high. Like men and women who know the kingdom of which is being bestowed upon you. I charge you in the sight of God, in the sight of my brothers, in the sight of all of you. Joyfully do the work. It's time not just to do the work, but to do it with joy and joy that comes from heaven. Joy that comes from God Almighty. A supernatural kind of joy. Not a forced joy. A joy that says, I am doing what God has called me to do. And that is causing me to walk in joy. I charge you, inside of heaven and earth, 
Walk in a holy defiance in the face of any and every attack that comes your way. You see, it's time to stand up in a defiance that comes from God Almighty. It's time to stand up in a defiance that says there is nothing that is going to stop me from doing the work of God in my life. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. It's okay, I got it right here. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That is as permanent as it gets, my brothers and my sisters. But we, tonight, we have a heavenly perspective that the Lord is implanting inside of our minds, inside of our faces, inside of our eyes. The Lord is giving us insight into what He is calling us to. You see, He's calling us higher tonight. He's calling us to a greater level, to a greater measure. He's calling us up. Peyton's going to begin to play for us. Tonight is the night that we elevate our thoughts. Tonight is the night that we elevate our actions. Tonight is the night that we elevate everything that we are. We elevate what our families stand for. We elevate who we are in Christ because Christ has spoken it. And that settles it. I know tonight that some of us have been walking in a low place. Walking in a very low state of living. But tonight is the night where that is elevated in Jesus' name. Tonight is the night where we can respond as a church. We're going higher. Sometimes you have to respond now in order to get to that highest place. So as we respond, as we begin to pray, and as we begin to lay these things in front of the Lord and ask Him to speak life into our dry bones once more, Believe that He will do it. He's spoken it already during the first set of worship, and He is going to bring life into dry bones in this place right now. That's what He's going to do. This is the moment that the Spirit of God has been waiting for. So lift your eyes, lift your faces, come to the the throne of God if you need to, come to the altar, do whatever it is that you need to do, but lift up yourself to God, lift up your families to God, and watch Him do a great work in your life tonight.